Page 985 is where you need to look. That's the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 18, beginning at verse 21. That's on page 985, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, let's, uh, let's pray for a moment before I uh, share something with you. Dear Lord, we pray that as we look at this parable, uh, you who spoke it will speak to us and open our hearts and minds to learn from it. Um, in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Uh, so, uh, during this week, uh, we've been doing lots of things, having lots of fun, and one of the things we've been doing is looking at the subject of forgiveness. Uh, <clears throat> which is a big subject, and so every day uh, during the week, that's well, three days we've been meeting, then we've had somebody speak about forgiveness, and so it's my job to sort of summarise that uh, here now. And so we're looking at this parable. And now the passage uh, starts with a question from the disciple Peter, and it's a question that's arisen from uh, a discussion uh, that they've had, and uh, Jesus has been talking to them about what you should do if somebody, your brother, sins against you. So, so Peter asks, how often must I forgive my brother? Now I think we owe a, 
a great deal in many ways to Peter for his, the way he's honest and open about the questions he asks and his, through his responses. Uh, we easily identify him with, with him, don't we? In the mistakes he makes, the way he rushes into uh, saying things, he is impetuous, isn't he? He tells Jesus off, for example, for saying he's going to suffer and die. He says to Jesus he will never deny him, even if all of these people leave you, I will never, he says. He is um, a bit like my daughter's Labrador. Uh, if I can insult the, the apostle, probably that's not a good idea. But uh, he is because the Labrador just rushes in and then thinks about it later. Um, I have a, a colleague who's much more cautious. There's a stump that um, they like to jump up. And on one occasion, it was a bit overgrown and slippery. And the colleague ran towards it and then thought, oh, I don't know about this. Stopped and... Um, assuming collies think, I don't know, but he stopped. Anyway, the Labrador bounds up, lands on top of the stump, legs all over the place, but then gets on the top and looks as if, what's the problem? <laughs> Peter's a little bit like that, I think. He rushes in. But as a result, we learn a great deal from the replies and the questions he uh, generates. Questions are good. If you have questions, then it is a good thing to have them and to investigate them. That is the way in which we learn. Timothy Keller, from his book, um, The Reason for God, says this. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenceless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. That is actually true of people who don't believe also. So Peter, he asks this question, but he, in a sense, he provides an answer. He says, seven times. How much must I forgive? Seven times. Now, Peter is probably pleased with this answer because he thinks he's been very generous, and in a way he has, because rabbis of the day, or some of them, taught that you only needed to, uh, to forgive somebody three times. Give them three times, and the fourth time you don't need to forgive them. So Peter has doubled that and added one, a bit like in the sketch. He's gone for the number seven, which is the Hebrew, a number for completeness. Jesus must be pleased with this, uh, Peter must think. But then Jesus gently corrects him, not seven times, 77 times. In other words, there is no limit, that's what he's saying. Now, don't you hate that when you get excited that maybe you've got something right or, or whatever, and you only find that you, actually you haven't. I recently have um, uh, got to like going shopping. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking of uh, seeking therapy for it. Um, but uh, particularly uh, grocery shopping, I... And, and what I like is when you get a bargain, you know, you go and then there's something you usually buy and it's usually four pounds and you've got two pounds. It's great. I've saved two pounds I can, and I've got to go home to tell my wife about this. And uh, so you go home knowing in your head this is four pounds worth and I got it for two pounds. So you say, how much do you think this cost me? One pound? <laughs> no, two pounds. That much? It sort of really deflates you, doesn't it? But you, can, you can't set a limit on forgiveness. And if you think you uh, and me you have been very clever because we, of course, knew that you can't 
put a limit on it. Peter, what are you doing? I want you to think about this for a minute because if someone lets you down once, you might be put out, but you might forgive them. What if they do it again? What if they do it a third time? That's the third time you've not met me when you said you would. Why, are you counting? Too bet we, too, too right you are. We are. Maybe you are not so good at this as we think we are. So to explain to us why setting a limit on forgiveness is not just ridiculous but unthinkable, Jesus, as he often does, tells a parable. It's one thing, isn't it, to be told a truth, another to be told a brilliant story that illustrates that truth. And a story which, as you look at it and think you are accusing somebody in it, you actually realise you are accusing yourself. The parable is, in a sense, a very simple story. Um, in one, yep, it's a servant who is uh, forgiven a great debt, only then to be merciless to a fellow servant who owes a fraction of what he has just been forgiven. As a result, he is condemned for doing so, and the debt that he did owe is reinstated. Of course, the parable is told to us as a picture of our position with God and an illustration of the importance of forgiveness. So I want us first to pick up on the big point that there is in this parable, and this is it. It links the forgiveness that you or I might receive from God with the forgiveness that we show others. As the sketch said, I showed you mercy, you showed him none. Therefore, I will show you none. Now, this is a point which Jesus does not mind repeating. Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. Matthew 5. Luke 6. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Or the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Or as we will say in a minute, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus then actually, after teaching this prayer, picks up on this particular point and he says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So why is there this link between these two, do you think? Why is forgiveness so important? Let me show you that Jesus does not say this without very good reason. Um, the first talk that we had during the week was by a chap called Peter Krakenberger. And uh, he is a friend of uh, Mike and uh, Stevenson and uh, they go into Winchester Prison and they teach uh, or run a course on forgiveness. And, uh, and of course they meet with a lot of people who wrestle with forgiveness. And uh, he gave four reasons why we should forgive and they are worth repeating, so I'm going to do that now. The first is, it is harmful not to do so, forgive. Of unforgiveness is, as he put it, toxic. It hurts. It damages us from the inside out. It eats away at us like some acid inside of us. We keep going over and over the hurt in our heads and it can and does ruin people's lives. I worked somewhere where they dealt with disputes over pensions 
And some of the cases we came across, in fact, far too many, were very sad because the people had become obsessed with what they thought was a wrong that had happened to them. And it began to dominate their whole lives until it was their health that was affected by the event. They could no longer think of anything else than the wrong that had been done to them. Being able to let go and forgive, move on, is widely recognised as an important, if not essential, for people to recover from events in their lives. Divorce for Recovery Workshop make it one of the essential prerequisites for moving on for our own health. Resentment is a horrible thing. It is a wicked thing. And wicked crimes come of it. No wonder Jesus says, or has the king say, you wicked servant. We think that by not forgiving, or I should say, we think but if we did forgive, then we were letting people off the hook. But one commentator has put it like this way. When you're hurt badly, it is like a fishing hook on the end of a line being stuck in your heart. And we imagine that by holding on to the hook and the line, we are somehow hurting the person on the other end. Forgiveness is like cutting the line, removing the hook, being free from the hurt. It is we who are let off the hook. Second, not forgive... Um, if we do not forgive, then we're un or less likely to receive forgiveness ourselves because this is how it works. If someone who is bitter, consumed by resentment, angry and unforgiving, is not a very nice person to be with. They're very unattractive. Ironically, they are the kind of person that others will find it hard to forgive and show mercy to. I have met quite a few embittered people, as I'm sure maybe you have, and I can see the truth in that. Thirdly, when you forgive, something incredible happens. Something wonderful. It changes things. When someone sins against you, you get angry and you want to retaliate against them. You want to hurt them right back. It turns you up inside. And if you retaliate, if you take revenge, then that just escalates things. So you think that withholding your forgiveness, holding on to resentment, you will by, by that somehow hurt them back. But that way the evil just goes on. It is a sort of self-perpetuating. I think it's no con coincidence that people who are bullies are often people who have been bullied themselves. The hurt goes on, but forgiveness changes that, breaks the chain. It nullifies the evil and starts instead a goodness in its place. It, if you like, reverses the direction and starts something very different. In 1987, in a place called Enniskillen, an IRA bomb was set off at a Remembrance Day uh, meeting. There was a chap uh, in the crowd called Gordon Wilson who was standing with his daughter Marie and they were blown up, basically. And, um, and they lay in the rubble, holding hands. Gordon's uh, daughter died in that occasion. But just afterwards, he said, I bear no ill will. I bear no grudge. 
In Wikipedia, it's recorded, the BBC would later describe the bombing as a turning point in the Troubles because the attack shook the IRA to its core. Pivotal to the change in attitude towards this sort of attack was Wilson's rea reaction to the death of his daughter. The 60-year-old Draper publicly forgave those who had planted the bomb and said he would pray for them. He also begged that no one take revenge for Marie's death and pleaded with loyalties, with loyalists, sorry, not to do so. Gordon Wilson reversed the evil. He started something new. He ended the vicious cycle of sin, bitterness and resentment that could have taken hold of his life and the life of others. He chose God's way. He chose forgiveness. But the fourth reason is because if we will not forgive others, our Father will not forgive us. Now this is a tough thing to get your head around, but let's see if we can understand this for a moment. One of the striking things about this parable is the huge discrepancy there is between the debt that the servant is forgiven, or released from, and the amount that he is owed. The debt is 10,000 talents. Now, you probably uh, don't know that, but that is a huge sum of money. Commentators have come, tried to come up with uh, ways of um, relating that for us. This is one. It is a sum about a thousand times the annual revenue of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria put together. It's a phenomenal amount, like about two and a half million pounds is what this man uh, owes. Others have put it higher than that. As against that, he owes 100 denarii, which is about five pounds. That's what he's owed. The sum the man owes is an amount he can never repay. His response, be patient with me and I will pay back everything, is pitiful. He's never going to repay that. There is no way. And the listeners who were listening to Jesus then would know that. He cannot repay this. So then, let's remind ourselves for a moment, Jesus is here setting out what our position is with God. I think most people deep down know, if they believe there is a God, that our sin is a big problem. In fact, even those who do not believe in God know that they need forgiveness. Here's a couple of quotes. The humanist, Margarita Lasky, said in a television discussion, what I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. Kingsley Amos, the novelist, said much the same thing shortly before he died. One of the great things about organized religion is that you can be forgiven your sins. I mean, I carry my sins around with me. There's nobody to forgive me. Even when we measure ourselves against our own standards of what is right, we know we fall short. Every day we fall short. So each day we're building up a debt. But what we hardly ever take into consideration is what we have done to God how we have treated him. The one who gave us everything, gave us life itself and everything we have, sustains the life we have. Yet he is the one we ignore most of the time. The most part we behave as if he did not matter. 
as if he did not exist. This is my life, I will do with it what I want. The nearest thing for a comparison to how this must look from God's point of view is in when we have children with whom we have sacrificed everything and they treat us with disdain, as if we were of no consequence, as if we never did anything for them. I um, got to know a couple once who I stayed with for about a week and uh, they were uh, a couple who had two children who had grown up, both grown up, and uh, as I got to know them a bit, I realised there was something that was a real hurt in their life. You know, you could see the pain in them, particularly in the wife, actually. And, um, and what I discovered was that their son had disowned them. He'd come to see them and say that he no longer wanted to know them. He no longer wanted to uh, see them. He would never see them again or speak to them. And he was moving away. And in fact, he was going to change his name. So he didn't even share the same name. I don't know what drove him to do that. He didn't want them in his life anymore. And you could see the hurt in them. But that is just a glimpse of what mankind does to the creator who loves us and gave himself for us. So then this is the position that we are in. We have this huge debt and we cannot pay it. And just like the servant, our attempts to repay it is pitiful. Be patient with me and I will pay everything. I'll try a bit harder. You know, maybe I'll come to church more often. Be kind to children and animals. The debt we owe God because of our sin is a huge one. But Jesus has come, as Peter was to discover, to give his life to pay that debt for us, to wipe out the debt that we can never pay ourselves, just as in the parable, the king wipes the debt just like that. The importance of forgiveness is shown by the lengths to which God would go to achieve it. Kingsley Amos said there was nobody to forgive him, but that's not so. There is one ready and willing to forgive him completely. And the point of the parable then is if that is the case, what does that say about somebody who refuses to show mercy and forgiveness to another person? In the parable, the servant behaved as if cancelling of the debt for him had never happened, as if it counted for nothing to him. Even his fellow servants were greatly distressed when they saw the injustice of it. If we then know anything of God's forgiveness, how much it cost him to earn it for us, how could we not show mercy to someone else or withhold our forgiveness of them? How could it ever be a case that we would count our forgiveness? It would beg the question, wouldn't it, whether we have actually ever really understood and repented, accepted the forgiveness that Jesus offers us. But as I finish, uh, I want to uh, just address something here because forgiveness is still very hard, is it not? It's one of the greatest challenges we may face Everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive, said C.S. Lewis. 
It is hard. So I wonder, when we say the Lord's Prayer, which we will in a little while, and you say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I wonder what you think that means. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to be clever. It's, I say that because it's a question that I have wrestled with. Does it mean that we are praying that God will forgive us only to the extent to which we have forgiven others? If that is the case, then I don't know about you, but I'm in trouble. If it actually depends on my ability to forgive how much I, I get forgiven, then that's going to be really uh, unpleasant. But actually, you notice the order is the other way round. Forgive us as we forgive. Uh, Jim Packer helped me uh, in his helpful commentary about the Lord's Prayer to see it a little like this. When we say the Lord's Prayer, we are praying, and we're saying, forgive us our sins as we now forgive those who sin against us. It is, if you like, a step of faith. In response to the forgiveness we have received, we, by his strength, the strength that he gives us, declare our forgiveness of those who have hurt us. It is then our intention to forgive. Give us, dear Lord, the strength to do it. As the parable says, from the heart. There is a true story which gives a long, or goes a long way to illustrate this. It's by, um, from a book by Corrie Ten Boone, The Hiding Place, one of the first Christian books I read. In fact, uh, Corrie and her family were in um, Holland, uh, living in Holland during the world, Second World War, and um, they were Christians, and they helped Jews escape the Nazis. Uh, but they were betrayed, and Corrie and her sister Betsy wound up in a concentration camp. Finally, in Ravensbrück concentration camp, where uh, through hard labor and mistreatment, Betsy, her sister, died. Corrie survived the war and uh, later was uh, campaigning, was speaking about the forgiveness offered through Jesus Christ. She went around and became a great and popular speaker in Germany and other places in Europe. Uh, but one day he, she'd been speaking at this particular conference and uh, suddenly became face to face with one of the guards that had been in the concentration camp. Now, this guard had come to know um, the forgiveness that Christ offers. And now was stood before her, holding his hand out to shake her hand, to thank her for her message. And um, this is what she writes. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people in Blomendal, the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so I again I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, a most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm and through my hand, 
a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with that command to love itself. Amen.